Hey, this is Mark. Happy 2022. And welcome to the Parlay in All Blue. We appreciate you and thank you for joining us in the new year. This episode will be with Dr. Khadijah Johnson, who's with the Morehouse School of Medicine and also with Grady Hospital here in Atlanta. If you enjoy this episode or get something out of it, you will hear some things about the pandemic and the, the virus and the variants and talk a little bit about long COVID and what 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 some of the really nasty effects of of that can be. But you will also hear, you know, the, really the importance of getting a personal physician and making sure that that people have access to to health care and then taking advantage of that access. I also want to say that Dr. Johnson and I, because we recorded this a week or so ahead of this episode airing, we did not talk a lot about the Omicron variant because the information is changing so rapidly and the best way for you to keep up is to go to the CDC's website or go to your county public health website and get the latest information. So I really want to encourage everyone to do that and to find trusted sources and try and find trusted voices to get the latest information. Anyway, kick back and thank you for joining us again and welcome to the Parlay in All Blue. Dr. Khadijah Johnson, how are you? And thank you for joining us on the Parlay in All Blue. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Yeah, we're we're really glad to have you. It's towards the end of the year. And I want to say just to the people who are listening that we will talk a lot about health care and we'll touch on, you know, the vaccine and, and pandemic because that's so important. I also want to urge you to listen to your local health departments and the CDC, because we record early. And by the time you hear this information, hear this episode, information may have changed. So I just want to throw that out there before we start. Anyway, towards the beginning of the pandemic, back in March of 2020, you, how I and many others became aware of you is through an impassioned plea that you made a viral video that was on YouTube and I think uh, the Huffington Post picked it up. I know the AJC picked it up, and there you were you were kind of in a lot of different places. What did you say then, and why did you say it? Oh wow, that was a pretty rough time where I could see what was coming. I was working at Grady at the time on an inpatient service, and we just kept seeing patients coming in really, really sick. We heard about the new virus, COVID nineteen, and you could see that it could spread so easily. We weren't wearing masks consistently. People were sick. They're coughing. They're in, they're waiting in the waiting room. And you could just see that madness was about to break out. So I made the plea after working, having some potential exposures myself, where we were testing, waiting for the test to come back, trying to figure out what to do. Because at that time, we really didn't even know when to test, how to test. We had to call in the state to get the tests. So I, I got really afraid. My parents are still very, very active. My dad was about to fly to New York to work. My mom was about to drive to Macon, Georgia to work. And I had to basically beg them not to, to tell them, no, this this is serious. You cannot go. 
And I'm not the type of child to go tell their parents that they can't do something. Yeah, yeah. My mom and my dad are not the type of people to say, no, I'm not going to go work. I'm not going to sit down. So after telling them, trying to convince them and letting them know just how dangerous it was, my mom just said, please, can you talk to such and such? Can you talk to such and such? And one morning I just woke up very tired and frustrated after a long 15 days of nonstop working. And I made the plea. Yeah. And what was the reaction to it? I know there was there was this sort of we talked about the the media reaction, but how did people personally respond to you? People called, people FaceTime, just are you okay? Are you okay? I've never seen you really look like this because I don't show necessarily that much emotion, especially in a video. Cause I make videos about skincare. I don't show all that emotion. So they were worried. They were like, Are you okay? Is everything okay? And then they just started sharing it with people. Some had friends that had contacted, especially people in Detroit. There was a group of people in Detroit who went on that black ski weekend. Yeah. And I had friends whose family went there, whose friends went there, and they just started sharing it to get people to stay home. Yeah, yeah. If you were to make a video today, what would that video say? What would you say? I would ask people to still wear their mask. Yep. I see a lot, a lot of unmasked events in person, oh, of course in person, but unmasked events. So big gatherings, football games, soccer games, yeah. clubs, balls, parties at people's house where everyone is unmasked. Maybe one or two will have them on. Yeah. yeah. They're just potential spreaders. Yeah. No, you know, listen, and I have to say that as someone who has been fairly conservative and uh, uh, about things and wearing masks or what have you, and I'm vax boosted and all of the above. But I will say that I noticed that I've gotten laxed over, you know, some big events like the Jackson State homecoming and, you know, our football team was playing in Atlanta here recently and all of those things. I, I think that's a really important message. And I do notice that my friends who are in healthcare or doctors and nurses, they're in 95 down at those events. And they're kind of in and out, too. Uh, so thank you for that. What are you seeing right now in the clinic and in the hospitals in terms of people who are infected with the virus? So right now I'm in the clinic, so I'm not really seeing the people who are infected with the virus. I'm seeing them afterwards. And you get to see some of the long COVID symptoms that they have. People are still on oxygen coming in two weeks, three weeks after they've had COVID. People are still having some of the neurologic changes where they just don't feel clear, like their mind doesn't feel clear. They may have numbness somewhere. You get to see all the long COVID. Next month I will be in the hospital, inpatient, and I'm sure that I'll be seeing how people are when they're coming in infected. Yeah. Say a little bit more about uh, long COVID and, and what, what is that exactly? I, I, listen, and I've read about it or what have you, but I mean, you're, you're experiencing or you're seeing it. What, what is that? Long COVID are just the effects that happen with COVID after you have had the disease. So after the acute phase of the disease, once you've recovered or somewhat recovered, you're out of the hospital, you're no longer infectious, you can still have problems associated with it. COVID wrecks havoc on your lungs. So people are being discharged on oxygen. They're having to stay on oxygen. People can have clotting disorders from the COVID. So increased blood clots, blood clots to your lungs, to your legs, just feeling foggy, like this not clear brain fog, extreme fatigue. 
And in kids, I don't see kids, but you can hear about the effects of kids where they can have just this inflammatory reaction. I know someone who's had to just keep getting ultrasounds of their heart to make sure that the COVID did not do any damage to their heart because they saw some some evidence of COVID in their heart. Yeah, yeah. I don't really like talking about this any more than anyone else, but I, I think it's something that we have to to continue to hear. And I'm not a scientist or any of those things, but it appears with this, this virus's ability to mutate and have other variants and what have you that we're going to be with it for a while. So I think it's important that we keep the information out there. Let me ask just just this. Do vaccines help in any of this? Vaccines help you get not get the disease, first of all. So if you never get COVID, right. you're not likely to have those long symptoms. I'm not 100% sure about the long COVID. So if you do get COVID and you're vaccinated, your disease isn't going to be as severe. You most likely will not end up in the hospital or die. And those are two huge things, right? Yeah. Less likely to get the bad pneumonia. So then you won't need to be on that oxygen. But I'm not sure about the brain fog, some of those other things. Got it. Just want to go through a few things. And and we talked about this in preparation for this, just to go through some things that I hear about vaccines and vaccine hesitancy. And I'm not looking for you to be a a, a macro psychologist. I don't want you to be the doctor for the world and take care of us. But listen, just a few things that I'm hearing. So I'm not even going to go through every conspiracy theory or any of those things, but just, just a few things just to get it out. And you are a doctor, right? You're a physician. Is that correct? I'm a physician, yes. Right. So this is this is not just a neighbor. And we're not neighbors, but this is not a neighbor. This is not somebody that uh, I met on Marta or, or just uh, somebody that I saw in the grocery or anything like this. This is an actual physician, a scientist. Okay. Should I skip, what would I, and I have the word routine for lack of a better term, but vaccinations that come around sort of annually like the flu shot right now while we have COVID. Should I skip those? No, definitely don't skip those. We want you to stay out the hospital for everything. So definitely get your flu shot. Kids should definitely get their vaccines. We don't want stuff like chicken pox, measles, mumps coming back. We want to keep those gone and far away. Okay. And can the vaccines overload my immune system? Or let me say it differently. If I get the vaccine, will my natural immunity just sort of go away? Nope, nope. We're actually going to make that immunity better. So we're going to give you the, you take the COVID vaccine, the flu vaccine, and your body will be stronger to fight those when they see them. Got it. I've had COVID, not me personally, but this is something that I already had it. So I'm good. No, you're not good. You're not good. You still need to get vaccinated. Okay, Okay. so after you've had COVID, you may be protected for about three to six months naturally. But the studies have shown that people who had COVID and they get the vaccine, they're less likely to get COVID again. Got it. So I think maybe even they're half as likely to get COVID if they've been vaccinated on top. We boost that response. Got it. Got it. We're expecting. And so... My wife has said we're not going to get the vaccine because I'm pregnant. And for the audience, we're, we're, the Dawsons aren't expecting. But <laughs> Dr. Johnson's not expecting either. So. Okay, okay. Um, I would say 
if you are expecting before you're pregnant, great, go get the vaccine, get the vaccine now, protect yourself now. You don't want to get COVID during your pregnancy. If you are pregnant, we see that you need to go get the vaccine. COVID during pregnancy is, is, is horrible. It's horrible for the mom. It's horrible for the baby. You don't want to lose both people. You want that protection from the vaccine. Vaccines during pregnancy are totally safe. Listen, I eat, I eat lots of fruits, vegetables. I work out, you know, listen, and you, you won't believe this. I'm incredibly fit. I do the marine test and trust me, I, you know, I eat very, I eat, I eat healthy. I only eat responsibly sourced foods. I'm, I'm the picture of, of health and, and, and preventative care. I don't need to get vaccinated. Well, I'd say that's great that you do all those things. That's wonderful. But something that you still need to do is get the vaccine because we see that perfectly healthy, young, fit people mm-hmm. are still getting COVID, ending up in the hospital, and some even die. Um, Black Americans, long term, uh, listen, in this country, whether, and I can't think, is his name James Marion Sims, who gynecology and um, experimented on Black women, and that became thing. And then you have Tuskegee. And listen, there are lots of things that have happened to Black people in America in the field of science and medicine. That is an absolute fact, no doubt about that. So I'm not getting the vaccine because, you know, I know how they do. I'm not getting it. Well, I agree with being skeptical of our country. I, too, am skeptical. I know the wrongs our country's done in medicine and all kinds of fields. But this is one of those things that's affecting people no matter what race you are, no matter what social economic status you are. COVID is wrecking havoc. And especially for Black people, it's even worse. For people that are underserviced, even worse. Everyone is getting this vaccine. I got the vaccine. Everyone that I could convince that I know and love has gotten the vaccine. It's protecting us. You may not trust the government, trust a lot of science, but this is something that everyone is getting no matter what race, color, class. And we're taking the jab. Yeah. And you, and you know, my, my thing is just a, you know, just a, another way we already know what COVID does. Here's what is, is we know that it can kill, right? We do know that. So, you know, even if you're just doing risk management, we know that this thing is killing people and uh, nearly 800,000, I want to say in the United, 800,000, I don't know what the number is, the exact number, but it's a lot of people. So we do know what happens there. So, as we're, you know, there's there's clearly hesitancy or what have you, but we're beginning to move up. And when we as a country, I think we're like 70, 71 percent, as I looked at 12 and up, ages 12 and up, have been fully vaccinated within the United States. So we're beginning to, to move up. And I think that number is around 65 percent for African-Americans. And again, anybody who wants to check, you should check that daily if that's important to you and get the the most recent information. But what do you find is actually works to convince people who are hesitant or who are lagging to go ahead and and get vaccinated? So some things that work that work are just having honest, open, non-judgmental conversations. To me, it's like a spectrum. There are these people who don't want it at all and will never get it. And those people who are definitely 100% going to get vaccinated no matter what. It's not the ends of the people that you really need to be talking to. It's those people that are somewhere in the middle and just trying to figure out what their fears are, what their concerns are, and listening to them 
I'm not trying to convince them to get it now, but just listening to their concerns, answering any of their concerns and giving them the chance to make the decision on their own. It's not working when we try to pressure people. We're seeing that that's not working at all. Got it. Are there sources of information that you as a, um, well, I don't think you can ever stop being a doctor, right? It, but I mean, just uh, that, that so uh, clearly you as a scientist, somebody who's a physician, you're getting a lot of information and you're seeing things. Are there sources of information that you would point to people to that are consistent and in ways that are digestible uh, for, for the average person to understand? Yeah, so, so the CDC's website on the COVID vaccine is great. There is a blogger, Kimberly Manning, she Grady Doc. So she has a lot of videos out there that she just records and um, blogs about about COVID that are, I think are very, very digestible. You can take what she says, understand it, and take it in. Kimberly Manning. Yes. Okay. Very cool. She's at Grady also. She's at Grady as well. Okay. I want to stay in this lane, but switch gears a little bit. There's some information that I saw from Kaiser and just one of their weekly updates, the Kaiser Foundation, one of their weekly updates. It said one of the biggest risks that we have during the pandemic right now is that people not having access to to health care. And from my understanding, and the numbers vary, but they settle on about, there's about 25% of Americans who don't have a personal doctor. Kaiser, again, and this is 2019, so it's we're just two years out, I don't think this number's changed much. We have about 80% of Americans who are underserved, whether they're in cities or rural areas in terms of access to health care. And, and, you know, I, I, I think that's really, really important, that, that personal relationship with the doctor. Not a political statement here. You know, Governor Kemp said, you know, listen, this, is a, this, is, this should be something about how you treat COVID or whether you send your kids back to school or where you're going to send them to summer camp or what have you, a conversation between you and your family physician. Well, there's about a quarter of us that don't have a family physician, right? So, Having having said that, talk to me about ways or 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 how can people just regular folks and then we, and not to, not even to mention the number of people who are just un, uninsured, right? So we have people who aren't being informed properly; they don't have access to a doctor. What are some practical things that people can do to close that gap? Practical things, I guess. The access to healthcare is a, is a problem. Yep. So we're in it in Atlanta. There are some things you can do, especially if you're in Fulton DeKalb and have no type of health insurance. I would say you could go to Grady Hospital. There are community health centers you could go to and see um, and try to get health care that way. Mm-hmm. Signing up on the marketplace for insurance to try to get some type of insurance and finding a provider that would see you. But getting some way to see a doctor. It is hard when you don't have resources to see doctors, but there are free clinics available for people. Yeah. So when when I hear, so I'm from Chicago originally, and I've been here in Atlanta for some time. The hospitals like 
Grady or Cook County in Chicago, you know, those big sort of hospitals that serve everyone. Sometimes they get a a reputation that, well, you're not going to be seen or any of those things. You, you, you know, all of those negative stereotypes. And when someone is hearing this and like, well, go to Grady. I went to Grady and this, that and other. What, what, what's, what's sort of your experience both at Grady as as a as a, as a doctor working there, and I don't know if you received services or had healthcare done there or any of those things. Okay, well, I absolutely love Grady. I have worked at Grady for, since two thousand five, so for sixteen years I've been at Grady working as a physician. We see everything. We see lots of cases: people who haven't been treated for their diseases for years and years, and maybe even a decade coming in. So we see everything. We're equipped to treat everything, and I think it's a great place to get health care. Me personally, I had my child there. So I had a child in April of this year, and I delivered Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I delivered at Grady. I wanted to make sure I went to a place that would see me as a whole person, and I think at Grady we see people as whole people. So you hear about the statistics of Black women, maternal health, maternal death, and morbidity, them not listening to people. Like even Serena Williams was not being heard when she had delivered and was having complications. So I wanted some place that I knew would hear me. So I chose to go to Grady and I had a great experience. My goal was to get me home and to get my child home. And that is what happened. Well, we're certainly happy about that. And I do want to take a little more time there because that that piece is is really important. So went through the numbers of Americans. I think it's a quarter, like I said, that just don't have a personal doctor. The number for black men is like 31 or over 30 percent, low 30s percent. Black women and white women about the same, 17 and 18 percent or what have you. Talk a little bit more about the unique relationship that black health care providers or people. Listen, and and we could even expand it, you know, people who are in rural or underserved areas. What? what why is that important? Why, why, should, why is that even a thing? So people want to see someone who can connect with them, who understands them, who has some type of cultural similarity to them. So they know what they're actually going through and what challenges they're put against. And there are even studies that show that when black men go see black male doctors, their outcomes are better. They trust them. They listen to them. And they're able to just reach them in a different way that other providers can. So my doctor. I don't, I believe almost all of my doctors are black, black men are black women. And the same with my sons. Got it. It was a very important and deliberate. Got it. Got it. So that's, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, one of the things when, it, when we, after, after George Floyd's killing, you know, we have a racial reckoning in the country and so much of it is focused on, policing and criminal justice and all of those things. But the whole idea of Black Lives Matter means not just sort of the, anytime you're dealing with the police, anytime, unless it's for a parade, right? Unless it's for a parade, it's like, you know, maybe something is as harmless as a, or or as um, small as a, a fender bender, just two people just, you know, crash and the police have to come sort it out or there's a ticket or what have you. That's not the 
the the day to day sort of experience for 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 people, right? I mean, that's that's one instance in the criminal justice, but there's so many other areas, particularly in healthcare and in physicians, having enough black physicians and people of color. I just really want us as a country, and even for black people advocating for change, that we ensure that when we're talking about Black Lives Matter, it's not just at that point of of in policing, but within the clinic. So let me, within, within hospitals and within healthcare and senior doctors and in clinics and all of those things, you, you mentioned Grady and, but there are other sort of smaller healthcare providers or what, what, like I see places like my urgent care. And then there's like Grady will have a, a place. How are those, those things that providing day-to-day care, like getting a physical or, you know, cough or those kinds of things. Okay. So urgent cares are great places, but they're not great for that daily maintenance of your care. There are community health centers like West End Medical Center. They provide primary care services and you can go get a primary care doctor there and be seen to help with things like chronic disease management. So your diabetes, your hypertension, cholesterol, they can manage those so they don't get worse and you don't get all these complications from it. Um, they can prevent disease. So we can make sure you get your screening. So not just your vaccines, but colonoscopies, mammograms, making sure that people get those preventive cares to prevent people from getting cancers um, and treating them. Yeah. Also, your primary care doctor does a lot of other stuff. So mental health. We do mental health. We check on people. I know people's families, what they're going through and when to bring them in because it's a stressful time for them. So maybe their diabetes won't be as controlled. So I know to bring them in before the holidays or tell them I'm going to see them right after the holidays. And sometimes they eat a little bit better knowing that I'm going to be checking their sugars right when they get done. That's right. Yeah. That, that idea of also for me is just the whole idea of having someone that knows me, knows my health history and understand so that you're just not starting over and over again. I, I really want people to get that that personal care. Let me switch gears a little bit. Why did why did you get into to medicine and why did you become a doctor? So it's, it's an interesting story because I actually didn't want to be a doctor at first. So many of my friends, I was a science major. So many of my friends were pre-med and I said, no, I'm going to be a chemist. I'm going to be a biochemist. One summer I went to a summer program and I worked in a lab and I hated being a biochemist. I hated what we did every single day. So I started volunteering on a healthcare van. And so we were at New Haven. I was at Yale. We went into the community and we would stop at our healthcare van and people in the community could come up to us and get healthcare right then and there. And I loved it. I loved every minute on it. I wished I could have volunteered every single day. It was just such a great experience. And I knew then that that's what I wanted to do. Did you you go to um, Yale for undergrad? No, I went to Spelman. You went to Spelman. Okay. So what'd you major in in Spelman? That was biochemistry. Biochemistry. Okay. Okay. Well, how'd you end up at Spelman? Oh, Spelman is a school that my family went to. I may have been like number 13. There've been more people who graduated from Spelman. So we're from Atlanta, born and raised. And it's the school that you went to. If you were a black woman in Atlanta, there weren't too many other schools that were taking people my parents' age. Got it. Got it. And Spelman's historically black college and university here in Atlanta, women's college, women's university did the, and then you went to Yale. Did Spelman prepare you or were you hampered? 
Actually, I went to Yale. That was a summer program. Summer program. Okay. I went to Mount Sinai School of Medicine for medical school, and Stoneman absolutely prepared me. I felt prepared to face anything. Once you leave, as you know, you went to Jackson State, a black college, you're prepared for everything. Anything the world may throw at you, you can handle it. So academically, I felt prepared socially, emotionally, mentally. Spelman had me ready. Yeah, Jackson State had me ready too. And um, my youngest is is there now. So hopefully he's he's getting prepared. I think it's there's a lot of misunderstanding about historically black colleges and universities. Everybody thinks about homecoming and sort of bands and you know and, and that kind of thing. And all of that is is real. I, I listen, I, I am somebody that that I, I'm from the work hard, play hard school of life. So I think all of that's important. But what I try to tell people is that it wasn't just that I felt good leaving Jackson State. I was prepared for my my field of study. And so when you when you finished medical school, did you come back here to Atlanta or would you would immediately? I came immediately back to Morehouse School of Medicine to do my residency in internal medicine. So I came right back. Why'd you choose Morehouse? I missed that historically black college and university feel. I missed that. I wanted that back. I wanted to be back home in Atlanta. So this was one of my first choices for residency. And so Morehouse um, School of Medicine, uh, I think it's a it's a it's a jewel here in that in Atlanta, and 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 people should really understand more about it. I'm just going to read something from the the website, and you know this well, you live it. But it says the the mission is to lead in the creation of advancement and health equity. And by doing that, to improve health and well-being of individuals and communities, increase diversity in health and professional of health professionals and scientific workforce, address primary health care programs and education and service for people of color in rural areas, underserved areas in the nation and the world. That is a whole lot that that Morehouse School of Medicine is doing. I'm going to back up a little bit and let's talk about what's actually happening, and how do those things take place? So leading the creation of advancement of health equity, which is kind of the, 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 the first sentence of there, what, is, what does that mean on a practical standpoint? That we want to make sure that everyone, no matter what station in life is, no matter what socially they look at, has equal access to excellent health. So I will say that I'm speaking on behalf of my behalf. I do work for Morehouse School of Medicine, but these are my own views. Yeah. We want people that no matter where they were born, what they look like, how much money they have, to have healthy lifestyles so that they don't have a lower quality of life. They don't have a lower mortality. They don't have worse disease, worse disease outcomes. We want every we want it to be equitable. And what does equitable health care outcomes what what does that look like? What does that mean? Is that is that more is that more doctors, more nurses? What what is that? Part of it is recognizing some of the underlying roots of things. So that if we can recognize that racism affects so many things in American life, whether you're treated for your high blood pressure or maybe not really treated for your high blood pressure, and someone puts it off, that no matter what you look like, you're going to be treated. Okay, and and you mentioned the other things back to. Um, 
when we were talking earlier about preventative care, sort of your colonoscopy and those kinds of things, how how does how does is is Morehouse promoting that kind of thing, or you work with Grady, or what does that partnership kind of look like? Morehouse has its own the own practice, so there is Morehouse Healthcare, so you can get care there at Morehouse Healthcare. You can also go to one of the Grady clinics and get healthcare by a primary care doctor there too. That's from Morehouse School of Medicine, and we definitely, definitely, the physicians there, we promote people getting their colonoscopies. But we also know that, and we've been doing this for a while, if you're African-American, you need to start screening at 45. The guidelines for Caucasians are 50. So we are careful to tailor our treatments and what we tell our patients based on their race, because we know that these outcomes are worse. Wow. You know what? So as somebody who has passed both of those ages, I had the general number, like, 50 would be it. I, I I hadn't heard that. So that's that's important for me. Increased diversity in health professionals and scientific workforce. What is the what how does Morehouse School of Medicine uh, help with that in terms of getting more healthcare professionals? Well, I guess it's the pathway to medicine. They start early trying to get kids and people interested in science, technology the art. So they start in elementary school, our pipeline, or not pipeline, it's pathway program. We start in elementary school and there's programs in elementary school, middle school, high school, and in college level people. So they are aware of Morehouse School of Medicine, aware that black doctors that look just like them exist, that black doctors that came from the same neighborhood as them exist so that they can see themselves that and dream and actually become that. Yeah. And is that is that like uh, through mentoring or you mentioned in the schools and is it mentoring or just early identification of talent or how does that happen or all of the above? Probably all of the above. I don't know all the programs, but I do know that we have people go and volunteer in the schools. So a volunteer in the schools. We have a community health course where our students go into the communities and work with different age people. So not just elementary school age people, they're going into senior centers. They're going out into the communities to work with communities to see what they need and what they want for their communities and bring them there. There are specific programs where kids can apply and then come on campus to do things, activities in the summer. We do, uh, it's a lot of everything, trying to hit it in all different ways. There we go. There we go. You mentioned earlier that, uh, when you did the video last year, but this was a part of an ongoing blog or, or video series that you have. Can you say a little bit more about that? So it's called Dr. KJ's Asia Perfection. Okay. It's about um, skincare. So I love Korean skincare. Um, when I was turning 40-ish, my skin started to just break out. I couldn't stop it. And I had a lot of hyperpigmentation. So I found this Korean skincare program and I've just been doing it ever since. And I use it as my self-care because I was like, 10 steps, who has time for 10 steps? So I take about at least five minutes every day, twice a day for me. And that's even if it's just doing my face, that five minutes by myself where I just get to to do that. And I'll talk about other skin type of things, hair, overall skin, but I love skincare products. And is and are you doing that now? Is that still active? Are you still doing that? I've taken a little bit of time off since I had a baby. Yeah. I have actually created my own product. So hopefully the product will be coming soon. Okay. So when I was pregnant, I saw some needs that needed to be met that I couldn't find in the current market. Mm-hmm. So those are coming soon. 
All right. Well, well, you have to keep us informed so we can make sure that, that people know where to find you. What does it mean to live well? Living well, I think, is a holistic type of thing. So making sure that you are mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, all kind of in balance so that you have time for all of those different aspects in your life. You can nurture them and maybe not feeling tired or exhausted while you're doing it. One more I wanted to go back really quick as the as as someone who's a physician, if you could just say a little bit just about what the pandemic has meant or how does it feel or how do, how are you taking how are you and other healthcare professionals taking care of yourselves during this time? I mean, we say, you know, our heroes and you know healthcare professionals and essential workers and we we applaud them and there's you know per, well there's coupons for for groceries and stuff like that you know that are kind of performative but i wonder you know how are you guys taking care of yourselves i think this pandemic has taught me to respect my time and my energy more because i there's just not infinite to give so I have made sure to try to do deeper connections with my friends and my families. I've prioritized those more than I did before, especially for a lot of physicians. We turn down a lot of things. We say no because we're always working. I've made it a very a big point to make sure that I handle those relationships and take care of my other relationships. I've learned to say no to stuff in, at work. Um, before, I would just take lots and lots and lots on, and now it's, I can't do that. I I have to say no to it or else I'll be doing it on the weekends and that will take away from my friends and my family time. Respecting my time more is what I've learned during this pandemic and prioritizing those people that I really care about over work because work is people can die at work. So you got to live. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. All right. On to to something as we close uh, a little little fun or a little lighter you are an Atlanta native and you went to Spelman. So listen, you, you should be able to handle this. I am going to go through a round of outcast. Okay. And so I'm going to name five songs and you have to eliminate one each round until you get to the number one of, of these songs. Okay. Are you ready? I named a song I don't want. You name the one that you don't want first. You have to drop one in each round. Okay. So we're going to go with with first Elevators, Rosa Parks, Two Dope Boys, Aquemini, and Bombs Over Baghdad. Two Dope Boys. Okay. That's gone. Oh, you know what? I'm going to add another one in. Sorry to do this. Okay. So, Elevators, Rosa Parks, Jazzy Bell, Aquemini, and Bombs Over Baghdad. Jazzy Bell's. Jazzy Bell's gone. Elevators, Rosa Parks, Aquemini, and Bombs Over Baghdad. Aquemini. Aquemini. All right. So, we are down to Elevators, Rosa Parks, and Bombs Over Baghdad. Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks. All right. Elevators and bombs over Baghdad. Elevators. Elevators. All right. So 
B.O.B. was left. Why? Because all I can do is I, the hook just keeps playing in my head after you said, and I'm like, if the hook it's that good that I can just keep it in my head and just can't stop singing it. Yeah, that's all. Listen, if it comes on, you will be moving, and like you said, it's it's it, it's got a lot of energy and all of those things. I have to say that I probably would have picked um, elevators from that list to to end up as my my number one, but. Uh, B.O.B. is a is a very good song. So, you know, I appreciate it. And listen, we really appreciate you. You said uh, the CDC for those of us listening. And where where would we find Kimberly Manning? Is she should she do that on YouTube or? I think most of it is Twitter under Grady Doc. Grady Doc is her handle at Grady Doc. At Grady Doc. Awesome. She was also on a Tyler Perry special. So there's that Tyler Perry special that he did something on vaccines. I just think she does a great job of explaining things. Yeah, you know, and 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 listen, I would also say this, you know, for for pe- for people here, and and I don't work for Tyler Perry Studios, don't know anything about it, but I do know this: he has shown a lot of leadership in that area, and and keep a big part of keeping the studio going was a strong testing and then vaccination. Yeah regimen once it it became available so shout out to to tyler perry and i will uh look for at grady doc uh myself and follow her but dr khadija johnson we appreciate you so much for joining us here on the parlay in all blue thank you mark this is great thanks for having me oh yeah no thank you thank you for joining us listen and and listen it's around it's it's the holiday season and your physician, your mom, and all of this stuff. So we really appreciate your time and all the best on your product launch as well. Thank you. Thank you. I'll let you know when it launches. All right. Thank you. We appreciate you here at the Parlay in All Blue. Please tell someone about us. Share the podcast. Make sure you leave a comment. You can find the Parlay in All Blue at Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon or Stitcher, wherever you receive your podcast, you can find us there. Make sure that you add us as a favorite, follow us or subscribe, whatever it is you need to do to make sure that you're plugged in. We want to say a big thanks to DJ Marky G for allowing us to use his music exclusively on our podcast. We appreciate it, bro. Much love. Thank you again. I'm out.